0: You're about to listen to Brittle Star's Really Great Podcast. The Really Great Podcast is fueled by our well caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. It's a it's kind of a misnomer because there's no actual club to join. They just they make like they they make coffee. There's no club, so don't don't get your hopes up. They make delicious compostable coffee pods that you can find at retailers across Canada, like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco, and they're Canadian too, eh? If you're not into coffee, sorry. Who are you and what do you do? My name is Sujith Varughes,
1: and for the last 40 years, I have worked as a writer in television and as an actor, and sometimes as a director, and, um, and that's all I do.
0: That sounds like a lot.
1: Well, it, it is when it's a good year. <laughs> when it's a bad <laughs> When it's a bad year you know I, I live on banked money and i'm sitting around hoping for the best
0: well that's okay i mean i think that's that's part of the gig right as far as I got, this is for those of you tuning in i fought with this mic stand for about an hour and a half before we started i
1: threatened i threatened to leave if he couldn't set it right and now he's sort of <laughs> balan- balancing it on his knee <laughs> that's that's a that's a money well spent there Stuart.
0: So yeah, it's uh, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it and hanging out with oh, I'm me. Happy
1: to, happy to be here. You know, I'm a big fan of yours, and so I was thrilled when you asked me to to do this. And um, I know you've got big, huge Canadian stars who come on, so I I'm just thrilled to be in in that company.
0: But I mean, don't sell yourself short. I mean, I know that you you started out by saying you're a you know a, a jack of all trades, and uh, and we won't. I can't remember what the last half of that is um but um you 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 know you are a well-known face you're you're one of those faces that shows up on tv and you go i mean i know that guy i know that guy you know which is pretty great (laughs) well you know for a
1: brown kid from saskatoon i think that is a bit of an achievement Uh, well that
0: yeah i was gonna say that's i mean one of the interesting things about you is that you're from saskatchewan
1: i i was born in india Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in Kerala in southern India, and you can tell that from my name. But I grew up from the age of a year uh, mm-hmm. in Sask- in Saskatoon, primarily, and a little bit in Ottawa and Montreal. But yeah, I'm a I'm a first generation, uh, and and you know, in terms of show business, I am a pioneer, like you wouldn't believe. Like when I started, there was nobody brown in the business. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I didn't know I was going to be in show business, really, so I have the world's worst show business name. And, you know, it's like a real, it's a real uh, amazing thing that I'm still around making a living doing this 40 years later. Um, and, you know, as you say, sometimes people recognize me like that. Uh, I feel pretty, you know, that's I'm pretty proud of that.
0: You should be. I mean, I think that it's it's interesting talking about uh, the struggle of essentially not being white in in the arts in Canada specifically but anywhere and you know I've spoken to uh, other artists as well like Karen Robinson from Schitt's Creek has sort of said similar types of things and, and, and Gene Yoon of course has said the same thing uh, where it's kind of you know growing up not being white and thinking well I want to get into acting and looking around and going well, I don't see anyone that looks like me on TV. But that's or why any- I
1: didn't start that's why I didn't even think I would be an actor I, I broke in as a, as a writer and I and I, um, I wrote for CBC drama I wrote uh, uh, um, I wrote an episode of a TV series which is how I broke in and the second thing that I wrote was a movie which was the first kind of multicultural romantic comedy that CBC television ever produced and was the last Multicultural romantic comedy CBC television produced in 1983. So, so this, you gotta understand, this is before the movie Gandhi came
0: out. Right, right.
1: And, and, and at the time, you know, I, I I had uh, pitched it and I was so out of touch from my own cultural background that, that it was, it was supposed to be, you know, about a guy who grew up in Canada, who's brown who's got a girlfriend who's white that his parents don't know about and they're arranging a marriage for him or a gr- from a girl from India and, you know, hijinks ensue. But even when I pitched it to my CBC producer, I said, you know, we could make him Greek because I, <laughs> I, I didn't think there was any Indian, you know, there were no actors around then. In fact, right. when the show got greenlit, we then said, okay, how we got to find an actor to play this guy. I mean, he's, you know, who would we find? So the, um, I've told this story before, but it's such a good story. I'll tell it here too. Uh, the cast went at uh, taxpayers' expense to Los Angeles and came back and found and said, "I found him." And I went, "Wow, you found an, a brown actor in Los Angeles." Well, his name is Howie Mandel, and, and I went, well, <laughs> I I don't <laughs> think that's a name is it? Because, no, he's a young Jewish boy, and this is before Howie Mandel was famous. Yeah, he just moved so. The CBC sent at taxpayers' expense the director and the producer, not the writer, <laughs> to Los Angeles to audition an unfamous Howie Mandel, hired a makeup guy who worked on a Spielberg movie to paint him brown and paste a mustache on him.
0: Oh God. And
1: I spent the weekend in my bed sitter, you know, on Spadina Road where I was living in squalor as, as a newbie writer, uh, thinking, well, this sucks. Because if this happens, you know, this violates everything that I was trying to do in having, you know, making this movie. And if it doesn't happen, there's no movie. <laughs> so they came back, and to the director and producer's credit, they said, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be right. So at that point, the CBC right. canceled the movie completely. It's over. It's done. So I begged them to let me audition as a last gasp effort to keep this movie alive. Mm -hmm. And they let me audition and I auditioned two or three times to got the part. And that's how I started acting. Um, Because there were literally no brown people back then doing this. And uh, and, and that's, I mean, if I'd known that was going to happen, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have changed my name to start. But, you know, as a writer, nobody cares. But as an actor, this is the world's worst name. But, you know, here I was acting and starring in a movie for CBC television. We were on the cover of the Toronto star TV guide. We were reviewed in McLean's magazine. We bunch of, yeah. we won a bunch of awards. Uh, it was only shown on what was called the CBC owned and operated station. So it was only shown on 16 stations in Canada and it's still got 750,000 viewers.
0: That's very impressive.
1: Right. But the CBC didn't think it was uh, because you know, it wasn't cool, but it was just something they did, you know, as a matter of course. Um, and and they forgot they've ever done it. If you go to the seventh floor of the CBC building in Toronto, you've got uh, the, the magazine covers of every CBC-produced drama ever made through the history of time, except that one on the
0: wall. Like, they literally have forgotten they made this movie. Um, why? Like, why? What? Like, why would they do that? I mean, I don't Kids know. Eat
1: their young. Canadians eat their young. I mean, you know, being in Canadian showbiz is sort of like being in uh, witness protection, right? It's <laughs> not, it's not like you know, if we were any good, we'd be in L.A., right? So uh, <laughs> those of us toughed it out in in our home country are not going to be. Uh, and you know, you know that going in. Let's face it. I mean,
0: sure, sure.
1: Canadian culture. So. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm a little disappointed that that CBC hasn't, you know, acknowledged that they did this thirty thirty years ago. Was it more than thirty years ago? But uh, I'm glad they did it at the time. You know, it's it um, it jump started my my career, and so I started acting and writing. Since then, I ended up. The next thing I did, I wrote for the Muppets. I was one of the original writers for the the iconic
0: for Fraggle Rock. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which was super impressive. I, uh, I hadn't realized that. And um, when he did the sort of background, it's like, here's some information on Sujith. And I was like, cool. He's like, oh my God, Fraggle Rock. That's amazing. Like, that's pretty cool. I yeah. I was, I was, you know, it's funny because it's, it's at the, now
1: I sort of go, did I really do that? Um, <laughs> but at the time, you see, at the time it was, I knew it was a great gig and all that. And Jim directed one of my shows. And, you know, I was, I was a fantastic, experience but it was still i didn't know anybody who watched the show you know i didn't have kids (laughs) Uh, i didn't know anybody with kids i was 24 25 years old and i'm writing for jim henson um and so the impact that the show had wasn't felt viscerally by me i was grateful for the work and happy for the income but but beyond that it was just a, a gig you know
0: a gig, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. a great
1: gig. Even I, I knew it at the time, but uh, but you know, I didn't know that the show would have the kind of global impact and become this iconic thing mm-hmm. that it has become since then. Um, and and uh, and so it it sort of kept me a little humble and hungry, you know, right? Because, uh, because it 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 was a great experience, but uh, you know. It's it was that, and then I still had to get my next gig after that was over. I mean, when Jim pulled, Jim chose to pull the plug, you know that was the very first show that HBO ever produced, long before the really yeah, long before the Sopranos. That was the first mm-hmm. series that HBO greenlit as a as an HBO series. So we would have to send our scripts to, to CBC, who were providing it was a co production between CBC and yeah. HBO. CBC would, was providing the crews and all that, but we'd have to send the scripts overnight by a 300 baud modem.
0: Uh, <laughs> it took all night. How old are you? And no, I'm just I, kidding. I'm, I remember I used to all that. I work on a typewriter. I
1: literally cut and <laughs> pasted. Literally. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so this is this is, I mean, I've been through sort of the the, um, the transition from what television was to what it is now, because, you know, I'm still here and here's my Kim's Convenience, Mr. Mehta's Kim's Convenience coffee mug, you know, and so like,
0: fantastic. it's, it's yeah. kind
1: of fantastic that I've, that I've survived as long as I have and I have re- had to reinvent myself over the years uh, mm-hmm. to sustain an income and I, I pulled it off. So, you know, I'm grateful.
0: So would you consider yourself a writer first and foremost and then an actor after that? Yes.
1: So yes. though, I and... mean I would say in the last you know significant time I've I've made more of my income being an actor than as a writer. Sure. But, you know, uh, yeah, my first I'm I'm a writer first. I'm a I'm an actor uh, as a result of being a writer. Really? Uh so I I mm-hmm. I respect and I love acting, but but you know, I can't act in my apartment, but I can write, you know, and, and
0: I, you can, if you move to the suburbs, like me, you can try to pretend you're an actor and just, you know, I'm still
1: pretending to be everything, (laughs) you know, (laughs) well, I mean, but, but, uh, but yeah, I would say that. And, and, you know, I dreamt of being a full-time director. I still haven't achieved that. So, you know, I got something to, to hope for before I die.
0: So what would you direct? What would you, what would be your ideal project?
1: Well, I've got a shelf full of unproduced screenplays I could I could <laughs> offer up. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot in the in the in the trunk. Um, some of them some of them have what is called diverse themes and content, and some of them just don't. But you know, I, I'm a pretty eclectic in terms of my taste.
0: I think what's interesting about talking to you, I mean, you and I have followed each other for a while on social and stuff. And, um, and I've always appreciated the support. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it, was very, it was really exciting, actually, the first time that you had retweeted uh, one of my videos. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's really awesome. I was really excited about it. But I'm also a big believer in uh, you know, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. I'm a big believer in that as well. And I think that's sort of because I came into social uh, at, when I was 43. And it was like a brand new thing for me. And it was, it was kind of just an opportunity. I was like, oh, well, I guess I just have to take this. So I'm very, very aware of, you know, watching what happened with other people who were creating social media content and stuff like that. And I think that that's one of the things that I only see occasionally in Canadian entertainment, which is well, weird. I, I well,
1: would, I would agree with you that, you know, the Canadian entertainment industry has the tall poppy syndrome fairly Mm -hmm. Well established, you know, like it, part of the problem is that the opportunity here is uh, modest, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. even a big success. I mean, Kim's convenience, uh, you know, is not going to make you wealthy. Right. So, 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 um, and, and there is a kind of, I don't know, I don't know how to put it, but there's a kind of government mandate that supports the entertainment industry by, by its very nature, it's, it has to because we don't have the population to support it. So we need government incentives and all that kind of stuff. So as soon as you have that combination, I think you have the, the, the potential for this tall poppy syndrome because there's, there's, as a very good old story editing showrunner friend of mine says, there just aren't enough jobs for all the talented writers out there. So as soon as you have that, as the sentiment in the world or in the, in the country, it's, it's difficult, you know, to see somebody else succeed because you've been kicking the same can as they have. And you know, that that can doesn't have as much space as we have potential to fill. So most of my colleagues Mm -hmm. and friends moved to, to Los Angeles a long time ago. Um, And, and those of us who stuffed toughed it out, you know, um, we are toughing it out to make a living. We're not toughing it out to become rich and famous.
0: <laughs> richer, yeah. Because rich and yeah. famous
1: is not possible in this country. Uh, success is making a living. Mm. Success mm. is not fame and fortune. That's you'll have to go to a bigger center for that. For but success is is making a living, and and you have to be okay with that. You know. Yeah. And and uh, and. And that, you know, if you're not okay with that, well, you're not going to be happy with somebody who is okay with that. Um, uh, what I think is very interesting about social media is that it has allowed those of us who, who do believe in the, the rising tide raises all boats thing to be able to be supportive. You know, I'm a big yeah. fan of all of my friends and colleagues who succeed because I'm just happy to know them. You know, I'm happy to, to say, Hey, Andrew Fung's got a new show, and I—I I, my only regret is we never got a scene together on Kim's Convenience, you know. <laughs> and maybe he'll put me in his show. I don't know. I, I'm not Andrew. If you're watching, it's no no pressure, but you know.
0: <clears throat> but you know where to find him, Andrew. You know where to find him.
1: <clears throat> but you know, I. I, I, I mean, I, I, and, and the other thing is, it's a small, it's a small industry. So when you say, you yeah. know, Gene Yoon, uh, Gene literally lives two blocks from me. I see her all the time. You know? <laughs> Karen Robinson. Karen Robinson was is an old friend. I mean, I, she was in my very first stage play five years ago. You know, like, mm-hmm. She's been in my house. I mean, it's a small, small community of people who work. I mean, there's a lot of people who aspire to work and, and I personally, yeah. well, but those of us who have been able to make a living, we all know each other. Uh, we all, we have each other's phone numbers. You know, I mean, it's, it's a small gang of us. And, and of course you want your friends to be successful and, and like I said, maybe they'll put you in their show.
0: <laughs> do you think, like, do you ever have moments where you're regretting going to like not going or moving to LA and, and sort of making a stake there? I mean, I have, I have friends who've done that and who are very talented and I've also had, uh, you know, opportunities where we had about, this is maybe about six years ago, maybe not quite six years ago, almost six years ago, where we had a company that we work with in LA who basically just sort of do digital rights management for my content. So if someone scrapes my content, they'll go find it and I'll get that revenue. If, it's, they're, if they're making money out of my content, then I get paid, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But they had a TV development department and that TV development department had us into this meeting and they were like, what we'd like to do is film you guys, meaning me and my wife and my two sons, moving to Beverly Hills, moving to L.A. to try to make it in the real world down here. And I mean, like my, mean my oldest. I, I mean, all of us were like, no. I mean, my oldest son, he was like, if he could have unzipped his skin and slid out of the door, he would have done that. I was like, oh, my God, no, not. A- but I've never had. I've never had an interest in, in doing that myself. Have you ever had, like, do you sort of think to yourself, ah, damn it, I should have moved to LA 20 years ago or something?
1: Well, I, I tried to some degree in the early 90s. I would go to the American consulate mm-hmm. every year to get the form to apply. And every year I, was, I, I didn't qualify because I was born in India, so I'm considered by the Americans an Indian national, and I'm a naturalized Canadian citizen, so I'm a citizen. Yeah. So the first year I went and it says, no Indian nationals can apply. So I go back the next year and it says, no Canadian citizens can apply. And this went on as they toggled this uh, for about three or four years. So I finally, you know, I said, okay, fate is, fate is yeah. saying, don't bother. Um, but, you know, uh, many of my friends and colleagues who have gone uh, have, it, it changed their careers. It made them, you know, I, I mean, I can name a bunch of people. And so they, I know why they, I know that it works for many of them. Now there are a few that have gone and haven't done any better than they would have were they here and all that. But but it's hard not to look at that and say, "Wow, I wonder what would have happened had I gone." And yeah. I I will know. And so, you know, it's really then about saying, "Okay, what is your lifestyle choice?" Like I I don't yeah. care for non-universal healthcare and I don't I don't care for non gun control, and I don't care for a few of those things, so I'm willing to to pay the price of not being potentially rich and famous by staying in my home country and and making a go of it here and and being content with uh making a living uh, you know and and it's fine, but you recognize that there was a price that we all pay uh in canadian mm. and 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 it's sort of Gets into what it means to be Canadian, right? And and I am fully Canadian, and I think that those values um, <clears throat> uh, are are not just for show, but they are part of who I am as a person. Um, and and that's why I ended up with the with the life and the career that I that I had. Um, but I don't I don't blame anybody for going. In fact, if I was to advise somebody, I'd say you know probably should uh especially <clears> as canadians stop watching canadian content you know as a writer one of <clears> the <throat> real real problems and i'm i'm involved with the writers guild of canada uh, which is a union right and our biggest growing branch is los angeles because most of the canadian content is being reduced and reduced and reduced um and so the opportunities for Canadian writers for television anyway, are much less than they were when I was um, breaking it. And, you know, and yet the numbers are much greater. There's way more.
0: Well, I was going to say, like, do you, do you think that that the, like, even that's the same situation with shrinking, you know, with cable cutters and such people who aren't watching regular terrestrial television as much anymore and are watching the streaming services. But do you think that even with the streaming services, with Netflix and all your pluses and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's not enough yet. Like we're still not enough. Do you think it's literally a situation where the government has to step in and be like, listen, we need to support more content Uh, uh, much like uh, they do in Korea. Every country in the
1: world does that except Canada. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah. Every country in the world recognizes that their culture matters uh, uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I think it's true also even in Quebec, but in English Canada we don't think, we can I've always said that we we can you know, we can watch the an American show and plant ourselves in it because it's clo- I mean, sometimes I wish we, sw- we spoke Swahili or something, so at least we would know that it's not us on the screen, but with an American show, yeah. so that with these streamers they're not obliged to produce Canadian content uh, though they right. are doing business in Canada they are taking revenue from Canadians they are using our infrastructure and airwaves and and internet pipes and all that kind of stuff to make a, a bunch of money but they're not obliged to do Canadian content and uh, you know that's i got to ask why why are they not obliged mm-hmm. to but uh, bell media if you're watching on CTV is doesn't seem fair because they're basically competing you know, but we, we, we expect our broadcasters to, but we don't expect our streamers to.
0: What I understand with that is that, uh, you know, you'd spoke to the fact that it's such a bigger market, of course, in the US, it's 10 times the size of Canada. But the thing that drives me insane is that I look at the UK and the UK has about 60, 55, 60 million people to our 36-ish million people. So we're not as big as the UK But we're certainly, like, we're the size of California. That's the thing that always makes me insane, is that you wouldn't just ignore California. You wouldn't Mm -hmm. just be like, we don't need to do anything with California because there's only 34 million Uh, people. There
1: is a numbers issue. You know, that's why Canadian music Mm -hmm. is so much more successful, or at least it was before before streaming, uh, pound pound for pound (laughs) than, than Canadian television or film, because the cost of production to produce the best you know, back in the day, CD you could think of—I don't know, two hundred thousand dollars. Well, that revenue or that that investment can be made back by the Canadian market, but the cost of producing a, a top-rated Canadian or a top-rated television drama, right? We, we don't have enough bodies in the country to make back the cost of production. Sixty-five million, like the UK have, is probably the sweet spot in terms of being able to do it and and still not require you to sell to every other country in the world in order to make that happen. Uh, But 30 million, uh, you know, when you say California, yeah, we have the same population of California, but California doesn't have a 30 million uh, number audience. They have a 300 million audience.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: um,
0: So what you're saying is that we need to make more babies. That would help. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, we, if, if we had, if we had 65 million in the country and an economy that sustained 65 million in a way that, that we could probably not be reliant on, um, you know, the cost of production would equal the market, the size of the marketplace at that point in terms of, you know, remember, see when I, I remember I went to India, uh, 25 years ago, and I watched their local, I mean, their homegrown television series. It looked like it was shot on, you know, a a, a Fisher Price, (laughs) you know, kids' camera. Sure. Nobody cared. Because themselves or their culture on TV, and, and that was fine. They didn't need the big production values. Now they do. Canadians have watched American production for 50 years they're not like when I was writing all my movies for CBC Television. We were shooting on 16 millimeter optical soundtrack. You know, it was it looked mm. different than the big U.S. primetime shows. And the, even before the show started, as soon as it was on TV, you could tell. Oh, that's a CBC show. I said, "Oh, well, that's a CBC show. Yeah. And so now uh, we're all spoiled with the production values, and so you have to produce at the same production level so it means that the budgets for canadian content are in line with the budgets for u.s content not the not the fees for the stars but the below the line costs are pretty much the same so i'm on a show i'm on a show called transplant which is on ct canadian show but they spend as much money as an er or a house or a you know it's a hospital show Uh, you know they have to spend that kind of money because otherwise Nobody would, would would watch. I mean, ho- hopefully the writing and the acting is also attracting people. But if the production values aren't on par, it's not going to be watched and it's not going to be sold anywhere else because the competition is that fierce for, for this content. So when the Canadian content costs get to the point of being equivalent to international content costs, it becomes harder and harder to produce Canadian content. And that's what we're seeing Happen is is less and less being made now what is being made i think is better than it ever was but there's less there's less of it and, and it didn't anymore. you know kim's uh, you know i'm very proud to have been uh in in a show called kim's convenience and transplant at the same time i'm probably you mm-hmm. know i was in season four uh, i mean uh, five seasons of kim's convenience And I'm in the first two of transplant and season four and one of the two series were back to back. So I was on two different shows playing two different characters on two different networks at the very same time. And I'm a Brown guy. Like that's, that's a real, you know, that's a real achievement. And, and, and you couldn't have had two better shows for what they were trying to do. Like the, the, there's, Mm -hmm. I would you don't have to apologize at all for the, The quality, because they were world-class quality, and it's proven by the fact that both shows are seen around the world and and are are popular. And and that just shows that the, the level of execution has risen so much in Canada. We are as good as anybody in the world when we get the chance to do it at that level, right? And we should be proud of that.
0: So do you think it just involves, it's going to take more, this is, I wasn't expecting this conversation to go in this direction, by the way, but it's fantastic. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. (laughs) But it's fascinating because I think that, uh, you know, I think a lot of shows like Kim's or Transplant or Schitt's Creek, or whatever, have shown that we can create content here in Canada. I say content, meaning shows or whatever. And there's a market for that content globally provided we do it really well, uh, meaning provided we do it... I don't think really well is even a weird way to say it. Provided we do it, you know, well, but also to a standard in which the majority of the audience in the world is like, yeah, that looks like a decent well, show. but I um, would put
1: one other caveat on that, which is that uh, yeah. uh, we tell the story that only we can tell. So, Kim's so yeah. for instance, when I read the first scripts for Kim's Convenience, I said I love this. This is a great show and nobody outside the 416 area code is going to watch. Because it was so specifically a love letter to Toronto and Korean convenience stores and all this kind of we, you know, are there Korean convenience stores in Moose Jaw? I don't know. Are there Korean convenience stores in Indonesia? I don't know. But the show is huge in Indonesia and in Moose Jaw because it's so yeah. specific and it told a story that only it could tell, right? It didn't tell a generic yeah, I, story. It
0: told a very specific story. For sure. But I think you can't, my argument would be that you can't not tell a story through the filter of where you're from and, and your culture and that kind of stuff, meaning, well, you can try not to. But I think that always seeps in. And I think a good example is Kim's Convenience is uh, when we started watching Kim's, it was like, when we, I'd known about the play Never went to the play. It was I mean, it was playing in Toronto or wherever, and I was like, I'm not I'm not going to Toronto to see this play about a Korean convenience store. But I don't know how it connects to me. As soon as the show was on, we watched the show and was like, This just reminds me of my mom and dad, who were Scottish immigrants. Oh, I get it. This is now this is now just an immigrant family story adapting to new culture. I'm sold. I'm in. I, I can relate to all these things. Um and I think that's my point, is that you can take these stories and you can tell these stories and, and from you know and produce them in Canada, and they're going to have that Canadian feel they're going to have it's like the new Pixar film, whatever it's called, uh, going red or something Colorado. like that, where the, the, the little yeah, and it's set in Toronto, and it's like it's exciting for Canadians to go set in Toronto, and I'm not sure that anybody else is going to care no. or notice. And nobody cares that Kim's
1: convenience was set in Toronto.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. The,
1: the, the specific. So, Becomes universal.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's
1: true for Shit's Creek. It's true for uh, transplant. You know, transplant is set in, in Toronto. It's, you know, universal health care. Nobody, you know, no, there's no storyline about how we're going to pay for the operation, uh, uh, unlike every other US primetime <laughs> hospital show. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's all those sort of things. And, and I would say that there was a time in Canadian television where this wasn't true, that the idea was to, we were, we were like the Korea of television production, just like Korea was the cars of, you know, they were making the cheap American knockoff cars. We were making the cheap American knockoff Canadian TV shows. And, and they weren't specific. They were generic. They were interchangeable. They were about some badass dude kicking ass in some <laughs> exotic <laughs> place, you know, or on a spaceship somewhere or whatever, but it wasn't, Something that mattered in terms of authorship, you know in terms of having something to say and uh, and you know we we it was good because we built up an industry that could do something good if good came along, and now good has come along and and it's working. The problem is is that there's so little of it compared to how much we could be doing
0: I want to ask you if there's something beyond like, do you think the solution for Canadian entertainment is to just spend more money? Like, do we just need more money so that we can make content at the same level and that'll just solve our problems? I don't do you know. Think I mean,
1: I think it's about more money, but it's not that cut and dried. It's about volume. You know, it's about having more shows. It's about having more writers working. It's about mm-hmm. having more actors working and making, you know, uh, Kim's Convenience, Schitt's Creek, I think those were the only two comedies on CBC at that time. Yeah. That's not enough. There should be five more. Uh, uh, So I think that we are at real risk of losing our current and future talent to be unable to do those shows again. I think it's that reached that point, especially on the writing side, anybody under 40 is thinking about moving to L.A. Uh, if they haven't done it already. And sure. they're there, they're not going to be, you know, you're going to have to repatriate them uh, to do a Canadian show. And, well, okay, maybe you'll get them, maybe you won't. But the point is, we shouldn't have to be going outside the country to tell our own stories.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think we, we are within five years of having to do that. It's 100%. We're at about a fifty percent now, where most of the writing for Canadian shows is is coming from expatriate writers who come back to do to do our show or, or here or whatever. But I think it's going to be more and more and and that's weird.
0: It is. It's I mean, it's interesting if you look at the CBC and I'm a big supporter of the CBC in that I think that it's it's worth saving and it's worth fixing and making better. In the, in the same way I look at the healthcare system, whenever people criticize the healthcare system, it's like, yes, no, there's lots of things that need to be made better, but I think we should make them better as opposed to scrapping it. Um, and I think that, you know, it reminds me of talking to, I did some work for the CBC a, a few times, and I think the, the second time I was doing stuff, I was working with someone at the CBC who's no longer there, and they're wonderful person, fantastic person. And they said, uh, I said, you know, why isn't the CBC more like the BBC? Why aren't we like going out there and making the best shows and doing amazing stuff and selling it all over the world and all that kind of stuff and just being really impressive. And she said, "Uh, it's not the CBC's mandate to impress. And I was like, that's accurate, I guess, I guess, but it's also such a Canadian weird defeatist way to look at something like that.
1: Well, and, and the thing is it's an apples and oranges comparison. I mean, the, the, the British public sends, you know, a check for I don't know what is it 150 pounds a year for the
0: CBC? yeah, 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 yeah.
1: he's going to send a check to uh, Ottawa for 150 dollars a year for the CBC. Yeah, I mean it's it's a real it's a real apples and oranges thing. I, 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 the thing is,
0: the money is there. Mm-hmm. Canadians are spending a boatload of money on
1: streamers that they do not they. No longer spend on commercials that the regular conventional broadcasters used to sell stuff on to make them, you know, to to get those shows on. And uh, as long as we let streamers get away with taking all that money out of the country without giving back something for our populations, stories and culture. And, uh, you know, I don't even think it's I mean you can talk about it in terms of culture but i think it's just it's just fair i mean they're they're, they're making money on our uh cultural appetite mm-hmm. so they should be uh, supporting our culture and they don't have to yet so either they should be forced to make canadian content just like canadian broadcasters are or they should be taxed and that money should go into making Canadian content one or the other, but they're making money and it's Canadian. Canadians are spending that money. So, you know, and the fact is I don't think Canadians are averse to Canadian content.
0: No, not at all. Not in the least. I mean, that's apparent. I think that's, I think that's the thing is that there used to be, as you mentioned earlier, you would turn on the television. You'd see something go, Oh, it's a Canadian production. Change the channel. Um, no, not anymore at all. Now you're like, oh, I'm, well, I'm going to watch Kim's. I'm going to watch Schitt's Creek. I'm going to watch, uh, you know, Andrew's show Run the Burbs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch these shows because I'm excited about watching these shows. I'm not watching them because, like, i got to do my part. It, re- You know, it reminds me of uh, being a teen and uh, hating CanCon in music, like hating it at the time, really hating it. And I, th- I think the reason I hated it is because CanCon at the time really kind of meant uh, Luba. That was it. All you had was Luba, and you're like, "Listen, Luba's great," you know. Every time is she sang that? Every time I see your picture, I cry. Fantastic song, but there's got to be more songs than that. There's got to be more Lubas out there than just her. And
1: because because uh, I was alive when CanCon was imposed by Pierre Juno on the music industry and radio, and I remember. As a kid, everybody freaking out, like we're not gonna be able to listen to the Beatles. Yes. <laughs> you know. We're gonna be forced to listen to Edison Lighthouse or whatever whatever it was, you know. The Stampeders. And frankly, that's okay because Edison Lighthouse and the Stampeders, without Pierre Juno, we wouldn't have had the tragically hip for Christ's sake. Exactly. And and there's a it, it made an explosion of Canadian music that would never have seen the light of day otherwise, and now yeah. we don't even question that. We love, you know, uh, yeah, all of that. and and we don't say, "Oh, I'm buying the Tragically Hip because they're Canadian." Yeah, nope. yeah. It's it's because the space was created to allow that to flourish, and and Canadian television and our stories are fighting to be allowed to exist, not given the space to flourish and that's the big problem with us as a as a country is that we we don't recognize when we do it right like with kim's and transplant or whatever and we don't see oh we should find a way to do more of that and we are we are doing our best to do less of it
0: it's like we see success and go oh god that was scary that was i got a little dizzy up top there you know what i mean
1: canadian it's got to be some other reason
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, Canadians are weird. That's, we are weird. We are. We're weird super weird. Culture. Yeah. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be weird, it's, and it's and to a, you know the point of uh, not scrapping the CBC. I think we just need to make things better. I think that's the that's what we should just be working and trying to make it better somehow.
1: Well, and I think people need to care, um, and I think they do care, but they don't know how to care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They take the the idea of Canadian content for granted. In other words, they don't know what it really means. They think it means something, but they don't really know what it means. And I think if they, if we could figure out a way to make Canadians care, because I think they do care without knowing that they care. Sure. If it disappeared tomorrow, which it likely will within five years, they will miss it, though they won't know they miss it, if you know what I mean. You know, they'll be watching... Mm-hmm. They'll be watching, uh, uh, you know, the the Netflix, and they won't know that Kim's Convenience or the next Kim's Convenience isn't on Netflix.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, people sort of accept, you know, the entertainment they're given. Because, I mean, to be fair, everybody's, everybody's out there living their life and swimming and doing their thing and trying to stay afloat, treading water. And it's not their job to uh, seek out this stuff. It should just be available to them, to your point.
1: Exactly. It should just be available. I'm not saying people should be forced to watch it. Yeah. But I think the people who are making money off Canadians should be forced
0: to pay for it. (laughs) I agree. I agree. I have one more question for you. My question is this. I would like you to give me a really great tip. Could be anything could be about cooking could be about life could be about dressing could be about anything a really great tip read that's it that's it just read anything pretty much <laughs> that's good I appreciate that that was good what, what what so what
1: do I mean by that well yeah say that that one of the um, biggest gaps in knowledge and in awareness that i see in certainly my industry among many people but particularly among the young is a lack of having read anything so that their ideas for a show are like something i've seen or read or you know i I, (laughs) right right yeah I i feel like that show i said what show and they've never read, and I said, look, you need, to, you need to read the great screenplays or the great TV shows and know what those are. Read the great novels, read, you know, be, be, we have 5,000 years of human history that you have to catch up on before you, can, <laughs> before you can invent the wheel, right? Before you can invent your wheel, because you're reinventing many wheels that we've already, we've already ridden
0: on. We've, we've covered already. Let's go. Okay, I'll accept it. That was a good tip. It was a really great tip. I like it. It's good. I think I agree with you. I think more people should just read in general. It's hard. It's a hard sell for people to read these days.
1: Well, uh, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, the there is a uh, un, uh, there is a subculture of book clubs that exists in this country that is a force to be reckoned with. So, uh, and it's mostly female, from what I can tell, that are supporting the the um, the literacy in in, uh, in Canada.
0: Been, it makes it sound like you've been undercover doing this.
1: Well, I, I don't, they're, they're, they're undercover from um, the, you know, the mainstream. Uh, mm-hmm. They should be publicized more, but yeah, there's a, there's a fierce uh, uh, army of book clubs out there. So I, I have hope that, that the literacy will, will be, will prevail through their, through their efforts. But I would say that on an industrial basis, um, we are, uh, we, we lack the, the, the reading that we need to have. And I, and, you know, I've, I've taught once in a while and it's just, it's the hardest thing, um, to, to come to face. You know, when I was in school, all I did was read. Play, yeah. Trying to same. get students now to do that is, you know, I once was taught, I was teaching script writing at a, at a Toronto college and, and I would give them a screen a famous screenplay to read every week as, uh, you know, in order to, as a teaching thing and I would give a little test just to make sure they'd read the damn thing before we talked about it and most of the time everybody failed the test and it was just who murdered who, who, who. <laughs> One week, I was giving the movie, uh, the screenplay for the movie Witness as a teaching screenplay and and so they all... You know came back and they all wrote this test and everybody got this it, it wrong again so i don't know it's all wrong just, and they were furious they said no that's not what happened this is what happened and i realized no that's what happened in the film <laughs> right the screenplay it's a, he he dies in a completely different way so they hadn't, hadn't read the screenplay they <laughs> read the movie. <laughs>
0: that's not how harrison ford died um that's uh it, you know you, i think about kids though just to add to that now and i say kids i mean people just sort of younger people and and living life now there's there's so much information there's so much content there's so much stuff that there's a i think we're just having a hard time adju- i think we're adjusting to filtering out what we have to be aware of and what we don't have to be aware of whether or not that be like news stuff or uh or just social stuff or whatever I think that uh, there's a real sense of I can't spend too long on this because I'm going to miss something else. If I spend too long on this one thing. I think that's
1: true but I also think it's, it's true that everybody, you know when I was little, we got one TV station, the CBC in Saskatoon. Mm-hmm. One. That's it. And, and yet and it was an affiliate so we also got a few non-CBC shows like I got to see the Beverly Hillbillies and the whole <laughs> and all those things too. But <laughs> so with one TV station, I had popular culture covered.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, now, it's impossible. So the, the shift has happened to, you get to have your version of popular culture. And, and, and you're going to watch excellence because it's all pretty good now. You're going to watch excellence, but it's going to be excellence to your taste. And, yeah. and, and so the people who watched Kim's Convenience have no idea about the show Transplant. And you're you have an ability to, to ha, you, you, we're all we don't have the water cooler, you know. What did, did no. you see? Did you see it last night? Because everybody's watching something else. You know, yeah. they're all they're all we're we're all curating our own content. Yeah, it's not uh, global. Whereas when I was growing up, you were growing up, it was a global curation. It was done by some executive in LA or somebody in in Toronto and. That's what we watched. And now we we don't have that curation forcing us to watch anything. We choose. And that's why I think the whole Canadian content thing is even more critical than it was. Because we, yeah. don't, we don't have the limited channels that we used to have. And so, you know, those stories got told and reached their audience in spite of the fact that people weren't wanting it. Now we have to do it in a way that people actually want to see it. Yeah, yeah. And we're capable of doing it. We have the skills, we have the technology, we just don't have the space.
0: See, I think it's my theory that uh, we're so siloed. Exactly as you said, we're so siloed now. And the, you know, one of the things I contend with constantly is algorithms. So people who will ask me, uh, "Are you not making any more videos?" They'd be like, "Well, I made like four last week. I didn't see them all. I didn't see them at all." These are people who follow me and all that kind of stuff, and they just don't because the algorithm that didn't bounce up and i you know i hate this notion that uh you know curation of of what i'm consuming is being left to an idiot like me uh, i i shouldn't be in charge of that i should be told by someone else or at least being guided to and say check this out maybe check this out into and and to different sort of not, not not even necessarily people but just being aware of things in general and i think that's also speaks to the issues that we have with uh you know in the news currently with whether it be political or immunization or whatever where it's like people are so siloed they're just so they see one thing and only what they want to see only one view
1: well it gets back to the algorithm right
0: yeah totally but i think that'll change that's my theory my theory is that there's going to be an avalanche of so much content that the next uh and this is kind of happening now with the streaming services the next big thing is going to be essentially these companies coming in and saying we're going to gobble up as much of this as possible because we're fighting against 700 other channels. We'll just buy them all because we're 700 times the size of all of them. And we're just going to become that thing again, which I don't know if that's better or not. I don't think that it needs to go back the other way.
1: You know, is, is, is Disney going to allow all of that diverse content to stay Mm -hmm. diverse? I don't know.
0: I don't know either. Yeah, I don't know. I think that makes the, me think that uh, all the more reason that the CBC should up its game, you know, and do its thing. Let's see and I march down there. We'll go down to Front Street. I
1: don't even, I don't think it's not just the CBC. I think it's in Bell's interest. I think it's in... True. I think it's in the interest, and I think it's in the interest of Netflix and all of these places. You know, that I think they're missing a trick by not realizing that their audience, rather than you know, making something that should appeal to everybody in 25 countries, make 25 shows that will appeal to everybody in 25 countries.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Certain shows that appeal to 25 countries. But I I look at the success of Netflix India where they're making, or or Korea, Squid Game, for Christ's sake. Mm -hmm. You know, you're making shows that are specifically for those countries that everybody everywhere else wants to watch. And the same thing is true for the Canadian content. The difference is Netflix India has to make those shows. Netflix Korea has to make those shows. Yeah. Canada does not have to yet.
0: That's great. It's Fascinating conversation, man. I really appreciate your time so much. It's been, it went in a direction. Like I said, I was not expecting. I kind of was, I guess. I didn't
1: know where we were going, but you know, I'm glad we got there.
0: It was good. It was fantastic. So thanks so much for hanging out with me. And, uh, I look forward to seeing more um, of what you, you
1: do. Star, you look like the commander. You're, you're behind the, the captain's desk there. so.
0: Just holding up my my flaccid mic boom. This is a common problem with men our age, though, is flaccid mic booms.
1: Flaccid mic booms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Anytime.
0: The Really Great Podcast is fueled by our well-caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. Don't get too excited because there's no actual club to join. It's just a weird name. I don't know why they chose that name, but they did, and they're called Club Coffee. The good news is they make delicious compostable coffee pods. You can find it at retailers across Canada, like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco. If you're not into coffee, sorry. Oh, and they're Canadian too, eh?